Hayes, Alexander, Shabbat for three, bang, oh! will get it for the win. What's going on guys? Welcome back to Dime Dropper 2021 playoff recaps. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on all platforms at YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast, Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and of course just follow us on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Dime Dropper Pod. For tonight's episode, we're going to go through the games of tonight, the Clippers and the Jazz game two, the Bucks and the Nets game three, and then I'll be also making my picks for Euro 2020. I'm finally going to start doing some soccer content on here because I always said I wanted to diversify the channel and it's the Euro Cup and I'm very passionate about stuff like that and because with the Clippers seemingly coming to an inevitable demise very soon, my interest in basketball and likely the view count will not be as high as well. But let's just focus on the task at hand, which is to break down this game at night and the Clippers against the Jazz in what I considered somewhat of a must-win scenario because... That puts all the pressure on us at home to win two games. And we are 1-3 at home in the playoffs. And we have a fucking half stadium of cardboard cutouts. While the Utah Jazz have one of the loudest arenas in the NBA historically and to this day to play against. Which is a total unfair advantage for the Jazz. But Gavin Newsom and and Garcetti are going to let it happen. So fuck them. Anyway, let's talk about the game. So that, that... that un, um, that lack of reliability in this Clipper team to win at home makes it so that I thought we needed to steal one of the games tonight, especially with our Clipper killer Mike Conley out. Of course, Serge Ibaka is still out, and that's really hurt us. But let's talk about the game tonight, right? Again, we start out with not the same intensity that we had in Game 6 against the Mavs, not the same intensity we had in Game 4 against the Mavs with that desperation-type kind of feel. We were, again, just playing like it was a normal game. And Donovan, Paul George, I, I said Paul George needs to guard Donovan Mitchell, Paul and Kawhi. Didn't get much of Kawhi. We got some Donovan in the beginning of the game. And Paul George, I thought, was anticipating the screen too early and leaning one way. And Donovan would just go the other way and got like six points or eight points overall, honestly, off of Paul George just forcing him a certain direction instead of playing him straight up and then just following him off the move that he made. And... That was a little embarrassing because not to mention that, he also started out bricking and Kawhi started out not aggressive again. And he shot maybe two shots in the first quarter. And somehow through Reggie, through Morris, through Batum, we rebounded in that first quarter to only be down by one point. Despite the barrage from Donovan, who again was lighting us up. And then, you know, Jingles and Bogdanovich did their thing as well. But I just thought that our lack of aggressiveness on the offensive end, especially from Kawhi and our... So we went with Zubat starting the game instead of the small ball lineup to combat Rudy Gogurt. And um, I'm not going to congratulate him for winning Defensive Player of the Year at all because I think Ben Simmons should have won. And I also think that Rudy is just... Like the fact that he has as many Defensive Player of the Years as Ben Wallace is a joke because Ben Wallace was three times the defender that he was. Rudy Gobich just doesn't have to go up against real skilled centers... Uh, more often than not, and 
you know, just sits in the paint and he does he does he does a great job deterring shots at the paint. But he has nothing special, nothing that I haven't seen before, quite frankly. Um, anyway, let's just go back to the game though. Um, Kawhi Leonard, yeah, not aggressive enough for me. Paul George was getting cooked on defense, and you know this is you know the biggest lie that was told to me by the media since they these these two bozos got to town. The two, what well, two of the best two way players in the league? I mean, how are teams gonna score? You know, guys, I'm like the biggest pussy slayer in the history of mankind, right? Because guess what? The, you know, they say I, I, you know, I bang every girl I see, but in actuality, I only bang you know some girls. But because you know, we're just gonna go with it, right? We're just gonna go with it off my reputation because you know that's just how it is. That's just how it is with these guys. They get credit for what they do in certain moments, but it's not what they always do. This is not how they always start out games. You know. Getting, it's just so frustrating to me because here's here's the thing, guys, right? We're supposed to have the best wing defenders in the league. Our wing defense is supposed to be our strength. Kawhi and Paul George are supposed to be our best defenders, but here's the problem. They are also our best scorers and our best players. So if you want to conserve, this is the soft-ass modern NBA, right? So if you want to conserve your star's energy, you can't have them guarding the best player for extended stretches apparently, right? Well, then who else is going to guard them? are weaker defenders because Reggie Jackson's no standout and Marcus Morris Sr. and Nick Batum are not bad by any means. However, anybody guarding an elite one-on-one player like Donovan Mitchell, you are gambling. You are gambling, essentially. And that is what we did. And in the second quarter, I just thought it got no better. I thought we got obliterated in that second quarter because our offense just wasn't making timely shots. You know, I also don't... I didn't really enjoy, you know, the adjustments from Ty... I thought that, you know, no Terrence Mann is just something that I, I cannot I cannot agree with. No Rondo for one minute. I said I would like to see him get fewer minutes, but not one minute in a game, in a playoff game, is just ridiculous. And, you know, Patrick Beverly, in my opinion, in the first half wasn't great. Second half, we'll get to that. But, and then, you know, I thought Kennard was fairly invisible tonight. I think they did a good job of trying to stay attached. But here's my problem. And then we saw Boogie play for a bit, and I thought that he had some good moments. And then towards the end of that second quarter, he made some bonehead errors, some bad fouls, some offensive fouls. And, you know, he's not the quickest defender in the world. And and here's my problem, and I've said this multiple times, guys, is that we didn't come into the playoffs with any set rotation at all. The Utah Jazz play the same uh, nine players, mostly eight players. They don't really play that Oni guy very much at all. It's JC, Derek Favors, Niang in their starting lineup. That's what they roll with. For the Clippers, it's always, man, I think we should get this guy more minutes tonight. Well, I think we should play Terrence tonight. Well, why isn't Terrence playing? Oh, Rondo's playing? I think we should play Bev next game. There's just, this team just did not get to fix, figure out a set rotation <coughs> before the season ended. And here's the thing. I understand that you got to adjust based on the opponent. And not every single rotation has to stay the same, like the Lakers last year. However, however, it's different. When you have a rotation of guys, JaVale McGee, the Dwight Howards, the way the Lakers had it last year, and some guys would sit for certain series and play for certain series. But the main thing is this. They all played regular minutes in the regular season, and they had different you know, combinations in which they had played together. I guarantee you some of these lineups out there that Ty's rolling with are not the type that have played together at all. And I just think that there's a constant who is playing tonight. And that I just don't think that's a 
a team that is well prepared for the playoffs. I think that's a team that thinks that we have the talent to adjust on the fly to all these teams. We don't because this Jazz team has chemistry and they make tough shots. And that's one thing I have to say is that some of the shots they were making too were very difficult. You know, Jordan Clarkson, he didn't start missing until we went to a zone. And I'll get into that in a sec as well. But some of those shots in the first half, I mean, contested step backs, tough shots. And guys, I'm looking at the home record for the Jazz this season. 31-5. The Utah Jazz historically are one of the best home teams in the history of the league because that crowd is electric and they have a slight level of altitude. But this is the route that we willingly wanted to go and play in the second round. Instead of playing against, wanting to play against the Lakers, who we literally have handled for two years since we got Kawhi and Paul George. I know the playoffs are different for the regular season, but I still think we shouldn't be scared of them. And the Suns, who we've had a better matchup with than the, than the Jazz. So, again, goes back to another thing. You can't convince me that fatigue is not some factor to this. Kawhi Leonard doesn't look anything like this, the player we saw in Game 6 and 7 of the series against Dallas right now. This is pathetic right now. I'm not going to call him quit because I don't necessarily think he's quitting, but he's not being aggressive enough. And what do I always say about when Kawhi does not start out aggressive? We do not play well enough because when we have Kawhi as our best player and he's competing with anybody on the court, that's when the Clippers are at their best. But Donovan Mitchell, just like Luka, has outplayed us in two games and we have lost both games. And it's both ends of the floor. Because Kawhi is not... And by the way, let's talk about Kawhi's defense tonight. Closing out poorly against Bogdanovich, getting blown by. Joe Ingles was blowing by him. He tried to guard Donovan on one position and he got taken baseline. And this is one of the guys that I'm supposed to hear. I'm supposed to listen to people telling me that this guy is one of the best perimeter defenders, best wing defenders in the history of basketball. So you can play defense for two games against the best player, and that makes you one of the best defenders in the history of basketball? Wow. Your standards, boys. Your standards are so low, quite frankly. Let's continue with the second half. The start of the third quarter was poor. Paul George was missing. Kawhi was missing. Marcus Morris Sr. was missing. Our defense, again, we could not guard. Could not guard. And then some things started to change. We went to a 2-3 zone. Mind you, this goes back to Is the NBA Getting Better and Better? My video series. Again, if you have not checked that out, it will teach you a lot. So go check that out. It's my main video series that I think encapsulates this, um, you know, my channel in a way. But one thing I said was, why do you think, why are teams going zone against better three-point shooters and it's working? Because there's no high post man. They want to stand around the perimeter and, and there's one guy around the basket. There's no in-between. There's no threat in the middle. So it's so easy to play against that when guys are just standing around in the perimeter. And the, it's funny that we should just do it more. Because the Utah Jazz are, quite frankly, a little too stupid, I think, to beat the zone. Because they don't they neglect the mid-range. They neglect the mid-range too often. And they love to shoot the threes. So I thought that when we went to zone, it totally changed the game. And then Kawhi started playing good defense, rotating from the weak side, you know, and he was playing one of the in the two-three zone, he was playing one of the down low wing spots. Yeah, cool. 
you know, making interceptions late. And it was Reggie Jackson that completely carried us. Carried us. Late in that third quarter, making huge shots, making floaters. And I did like Paul George's added aggressiveness in the third quarter. You know, he was going at Rudy more in the pick and rolls and, you know, trying to go into him. By the way, I will say that first half, the officiating, oh my God. I saw a stat before the game, Trey Maddox. Has, we have lost 14 of the last 16 games that he's officiated, and Utah, like, he, I don't know, a ref in the game, or maybe it was Trey Maddox, they'd win, like, 10 of the last 11. You know, but, I mean, we have not been done any favors by the officials so far. Let's put it that way. I hope when we go home, we get some home-centric calls. But Paul George stepped it up in the second half, I will say. He did. But Reggie Jackson was the main reason that we were able to get back in this game with his shot-making, and we went to that zone. And somehow that was working, and they didn't know what to do. And Jordan Clarkson, and, the, you know, a bank three to beat the buzzer. Kennard played it so well. He hits a bank three, and then Jordan Clarkson hits a step-back three. And you know what happens when those threes go in? That place just goes nuts. And we don't make those big shots because we don't have that mental toughness to me to make big shots when they count, when the momentum is against us, which has killed the Clippers, not just this Clipper team, but many variations of Clipper teams. And you know why I'm not confident about them making big shots to kill momentum? Because I saw them against no crowd momentum not be able to make shots to kill it three consecutive games in the glorified summer league. So what makes you think that I what makes me think that they are gonna make those big momentum killing shots? In, um, uh, in a hostile Utah environment. So let's talk. So, but the third quarter though, we ended it pretty well. You know, we outscored them thirty-three twenty-seven. We were only down by uh, six points. Right. I'm sorry. We outscored them by six points. We were down seven points. Ninety-three eighty-six going out, going to the fourth. And in the fourth. I like the added aggressiveness from Paul George. I like Reggie Jackson. I like Patrick Beverly's aggressiveness on the ball. I thought that in the second half, Pat Bev actually offered some good things. I thought he was putting more pressure on the ball and just, just trying to muck up the game a bit. And I'm going to say this. the There was a stretch in the game where I thought that we could have, you know, cut the, cut the gap. But Paul George... Through a and Reggie Jackson tried to throw a lob pass over Rudy. A lob pass over Rudy. So great basketball IQ when we were right there, right there. And then Paul George wants to throw a left-handed behind the back bounce pass on the drive. Are you kidding me? You think you're freaking Magic Johnson, bro? Behind the back bounce passes when we are getting, when we are on the brink of tying the game? Like, do you not give a fuck about this shit, dude? You think this is a joke to us? You think this is a joke? The only joke is how much money you're fucking making to do what you're doing. And Kawhi. Because let's get into the fourth quarter, right? We're down by five. We tied the game. We took the lead because Reggie Jackson was hitting shots. But oh my God, we could not hit the timely shot, could we? Nick Batum, make, missing an open corner three. Marcus Morris Sr., how many games is he not going to shoot well on the road? I mean, this guy was absolutely lights out this season. 4 of 11 and 0 of 5 from 3, bro. You couldn't give us one three-pointer. One. And these shots were fairly, almost every single one was open. 
Eight points is not good enough. I don't like the. I just don't like the indecisiveness of the rotations. Paul George played 44 minutes tonight. And I thought he was better than Kawhi. I really do. Not in the first half, but I just thought that also Paul George just seemed like he like cared more. Like he wanted to attack. And you know, even though he was getting cooked in the beginning of the game by, by Donovan, at least he's trying to guard Donovan. What's Kawhi doing? Getting cardio in? You know, if everybody if the excuse is that he doesn't want to play hard on defense to conserve himself, he was not playing hard on offense. I'm tired of the excuses for him. Because Paul George is going to get all the slander. But Kawhi is going to go scratch me because he did what? Because he closed out a first round series? That's the expectation for the finals MVP who's getting paid $35 million? What are we talking about? The elitist two-way player. The elite two-way stopper. This is not 2014. He didn't take over anything. He missed his corner mid-range. You know why he missed? Want me to tell you why he missed? Because he was not aggressive enough in the beginning of the game. He needs to come out in attack mode like we saw in game six. And he needs to come out guarding the best player. I feel like, as I said multiple times, it feels like when he plays better on defense, it translates to that offensive end. And here's my thing. If he's too tired, if he exerted too much of himself in that last series after we load-managed him, after we rested him in the end of the, end of the season, he's not built for it. He's not built to do it anymore. Maybe his condition's deteriorated. Maybe his knees just aren't, aren't in anymore. If that's what I'm hearing. Because if that's what I'm hearing, he can't do it. Because right now, Donovan Mitchell is outplaying us. And it comes down to, you know, we didn't make timely shots. But mainly, and here's the thing, ties, rotations, where I just don't think that Terrence Mann can be on the bench. I don't think that Rondo can play zero minutes. But again, it's so hard because everyone on Twitter and everyone thinks they're a coach. And I can think I'm a coach. But one thing I've never said is I don't think I'm, you know, I've never said let's get rid of time because he has tough decisions to make. My problem is this. He didn't prioritize setting a rotation and who's going to play in the playoffs and who's not at the end of the season. He went with, we ended the season without having any set rotation with a bunch of players that have a chance to, that are very solid players, like very, are, are de- we're too deep, if anything. You know what I'm saying? It's better to have a set eight or nine guys that you know are going to be there, and then you give some guys less minutes based on the matchup. And, you know, this is it. It's desperation time. I'm not going to say that we've lost the series like I did last time, but it's, I don't think, I mean, I have had to pick. Of course I don't think we're going to win. And I hate the Jazz so much. And, you know, they should know that we've, we've, we've lost to the Jazz twice in our history. They should know that we've never made it past the second round. They do know. The lack of assertiveness from Kawhi, it's just so disappointing. I'm not, because here's the thing about Paul George. you got to expect it from Paul. You've got to expect it a bit. But Kawhi... I'm disappointed in him. I'm disappointed in Senior. So, let's look at the lines. Kennard got 10 minutes. He made one shot. He shot one shot. Three points. Terrence got one minute. Pathetic. Patrick Beverly, 21 minutes, three points, 0 of 5. And you know why he's missed? Because he has not played this season. And despite the fact that he did some good things, again, it's just throwing shit to the wall and hoping it sticks to me. DeMarcus Cousins, 11 minutes, 3 of 7, 6 points. Not the worst thing in the world. Batum, 7 points, 
on two of four from the field and two of three from three. But man, that one he missed was huge. But I didn't know that was the only one he missed. I mean, he's going to miss eventually, right? And he was plus seven. So in Batum's minutes, we won the game. And I didn't see too many defensive breakdowns at his fault. Paul George started classic Paul George. I see it. I'm going to keep the same energy that I do with LeBron. Going off when the game was basically decided. You're not fooling anyone with that stat line. And I don't want to see any people, any people, go at, at uh, and defend Paul George and say, oh, man, he didn't really have that bad of a game. I mean, look at his shooting percent. No. When the game was over, he started hitting. 27 points, 8 of 18, 2 of 6 from 3. Thankfully, he didn't miss any of his free throws. 9 of 9. He had 10 rebounds and 6 assists, but 4 turnovers. Um, and we only had 11 turnovers, so he, he, you know, he nearly had, he had a third of them. Reggie Jackson was phenomenal. I mean, his defense isn't great, but when he's making shots like that, I can't complain too much. 29 points, 11 of 19 from the field, and 4 of 8 from 3, and 3 of 3 from the line. I can't say enough about Reggie this season, man. He's been great. Senior, though, is playing 37 minutes, and he has 8 points, 10 rebounds on 4 of 11 from the field and 0 of 5 from 3. I understand he's been our guy all season, but Senior is not the most mobile. You know, I just think that he's not the best at moving his feet, and I think that at times, Ty needs to play him less. That's a lot of minutes for what he's offering. And then Kawhi getting his cardio in, 39 minutes, not asking for the ball enough. We didn't give him the ball enough. 21 points. That's the third most points on our team. That is disgraceful. If Kawhi Leonard doesn't bring it, I mean, I feel like he will because in the Dallas series he did. But I just don't fuck with the fact that he needs. we need to go backs against the wall for him to bring his best. That's just not going to win a championship because we may be too gassed to do that anymore after the Mavs series. Let's look at the Jazz. Jordan Clarkson was great. 24 points. He scored more points than Kawhi. 9 of 15 from the field. 6 of 9 from 3. So that's 60% shooting and 66 from 3. In 27 minutes, Donovan Mitchell, 45 in the first game, 37 in the second game, 15 of 29 from the field, and 6 of 12 from 3. This man is averaging 41 points a game in this series. And Jingles had 19 points on 7 of 10 from the field and 4 of 7 from 3. Royce O'Neal, 2 of 4, 1 of 3 from 3, 8 points. Bogdanovich, again, I thought was really good. Made big shots, stayed efficient. And, oh, also, Kawhi can't get by Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles at the end of the game. He couldn't even get a step on them. I know they're not bad defenders, but Kawhi Leonard can't get a step on Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich. Shock it up! Because if that's going to continue, we're not winning anything, except for maybe a game. Bogdanovich had 16 points on 5 of 8 from the field and 3 of 5 from 3. Rudy, 13 points, 20 rebounds, 2 steals. Three blocks. He had a good game. Four or five. But Donovan was the player of the game again because he set the tone from the from the from the off. 117 to 111. The Clippers for the second consecutive series go down 2-0. I'm afraid they may not be as fortunate this time. But I'll be at game three. I haven't even bought my ticket yet, but I'm gonna go because I'm not gonna see us go down like that. Let's talk about the Bucks and the Nets. A very different game, much more defensive. A lot of you know, I actually really enjoyed the physicality. Um the physicality that was allowed in this game. P.J. Tucker was really trying so hard on KD. 
But I'll say you this: the the, the Bucks, the way they came out, that's the way you got to come out, and that's the way the Clippers need to come out next game. Because some of those jazz shots are not going to fall uh, on the road, and. I thought the Bucks did a really good job of throwing that first punch today. Chris Middleton and Giannis each had like 15 points in the first quarter. So I thought they set a really good example, and I thought the defensive antennas were higher. And they were trying so hard, I could notice, trying so hard to put a hand up on Durant and jump and just try your best to contest that 7-footer. And they led by 19, 30-11 after one. But something I noticed in quarter number two when the Nets really got back in the game was they tried to hunt out Brooke Lopez in pick and roll with Bruce Brown as the roll man. And they got a lot of pocket passes to Bruce Brown shooting floaters. And Brooke Lopez was just late. He just wasn't able to show and recover in time. No blocks. I thought, and he was, wasn't making his threes. So I thought that he was kind of a liability out there, Brooke Lopez. And I really have a problem with how long Giannis holds the ball. I didn't realize it until tonight. It is terrible. He had, there's a lot of possessions on this Bucks team that are no pass possessions, one pass possessions, where guys do not touch the ball. Drew Holiday needs to be handling the ball more. You know, Giannis at the top, you know, he scored two or three times. But more often than when I, two or three times when I was like, no, no, this is bad. More often than not, he either ran into traffic, five turnovers as a result, 14 of 31, and mind you, Giannis does not take the hardest shots in the world. 14 of 31. Chris Middleton, on the other hand, he does. And he was 12 of 25, 44%. But even Chris Middleton took some terrible contested shots. You know what I'm saying? And I thought that just Kevin Durant having a tough night was the reason why the Milwaukee Bucks were able to keep their lead. And, you know, going into the third quarter, or fourth quarter, um, leading by two points... It was dangerous, and Kevin Durant started to heat up. I mean, the funny part is he didn't have a great shooting night, and the man had 30 points still, 30 points, 11 rebounds, and he was starting to go off in that fourth quarter, make shots. Joe Harris was 1 of 11, 1 of 7 from 3, and if you've been watching my podcast all year, you know that I watched the Nets a lot in the beginning of the season, and one thing I said was that Joe Harris is not a good mid-range guy. He's great from 3, but he doesn't practice his mid-range enough. That shit is broke, and I'm living with that all day long. And he was... Broke, and they even doubled Kevin Durant late in that fourth quarter. Joe Harris got a wide open mid range, as wide open as it gets. Missed. Kyrie Irving, not his best night at the office either. Twenty two points, nine of twenty two, and two of eight from three. And I really love that moment where PJ Tucker and KD got into it, because that's the type of fire you want to see in the playoffs. And PJ Tucker, he had a donut tonight, but that will never, ever accurately show the impact that he had. He tried so hard to guard Kevin Durant all game. And I've said for a long time now, before I even had this podcast, that P.J. Tucker is one of the best players I've ever seen guard KD. Him, Iggy, or or uh, Tony Allen are the three best players I've ever seen guard KD. And P.J. Tucker, man, he gave his heart and soul out there tonight. He was the the highest plus minus of anyone on the Bucks, plus 10. I thought that Giannis, though, did make some big plays at the end, you know, just overall going to the basket, but... I really think that the Bucks were very fortunate to win this game. And I thought that Kevin Durant, you know, he was heating up at the end. But uh, Bruce Brown, you know, at the end of the game, for Kevin Durant to have just made some shots. And, you know, Kyrie Irving gives up the ball to Bruce Brown. And Kevin Durant just sitting in the corner. And Bruce Brown, for one, needs to be looking to give it to KD, first of all. Um, but secondly, for KD to not go get the ball and Bruce Brown just goes to the rim and throws up some left-handed bullshit... I mean, that's just poor, low IQ basketball. And, you know, there was some good defense being played in this game, but a lot of it was just low IQ basketball and missed shots. And Giannis' basketball IQ, 
it's it's not there. I admire the hunger, but like one of eight from three. Some of the shots he was taking, I was like, dude, the momentum is against you. You're 0 of 3 from 3, and you want to pop it, and you're, you're in a scoring drought, and you're going to pop a 3. That's how you want to break the drought? Mind, again, I'm going to repeat it. As I said, it is the NBA getting better, and it's so clear in the Jazz game and in this game. Basketball IQs have never been lower. They are totally in the toilet. Totally in the toilet. Anyway... But you got to give Drew Holiday a lot of credit. They came up the court. They're down by one. They don't call timeout, and he has no numbers. He spins on Bruce Brown. I think it was Bruce Brown. He gets to the rim and puts the Bucks up by one. I think that's when the Bruce Brown thing happened after that, if I'm not mistaken. And then Kevin Durant gets two seconds. He gets not the best look in the world. He goes off one leg, which I was a little surprised to. But at the end of the day, you want to get the ball into your best player's hands. They did that. He missed back of the rim. To me, the game was lost before that. And to me, Kevin Durant didn't have a very good game. And he still got his 30. He still tried to take over. Similar, But I just think there was a little too little too late. And I just think this was the, the Bucks game to win. And had they not won this game, they would have gotten swept for sure. So big credit to the Bucks. I'm going to read the lines. It was a carry job by Middleton and Giannis. But in my opinion, they made it a carry job playing the way they did. They didn't get their teammates involved at all. And that's not, oh, they didn't get any help. You think Drew Holiday is going to be able to shoot efficiently when he's not touching the ball five possessions in a row? He's a hooper. He's not a spot-up shooter. You can't just do that. You can't, you're not making your teammates better playing that way. And if Giannis continues to do that, this series, that's the only win he's going to get. 33 points and 14 rebounds for Giannis. I admire the heart. 14 of 31 from the field. 1 of 8 from 3. Just terrible decision-making. 4 of 9 from the foul line. Also terrible. Chris Middleton, though, 35 points. 15 rebounds. I'd argue he may have been the player of the game. 12 of 25 from the field. 3 of 6 from 3. And 8 of 9 from the foul line. But to be honest, I think P.J. Tucker may have been the player of the game. Like, seriously. Zero points. I don't care what anybody says. His, he guarded Kevin Durant the whole game and held him to 11 of 28. You know, KD is one of the most efficient scorers to ever play this game. So when you hold him to under 50% shooting and well under that, you deserve your flowers. And P.J. Tucker deserves his flowers, man. Kevin Durant... 30 points, 11 to 28, 11 rebounds, 5 assists. Big win for the Bucs. Now, though, they have some re, you know, some newfound energy here. They've gotten a game. I just have a feeling that I think the Nets, I said Nets in 7, but it's going to be, it's looking like Nets in 5. Because KD and Kyrie not shooting like that. Drew Holiday, 4 of 14, 9 points. He made the game go-ahead shot, though. Uh, Brooke Lopez was poor, though. 1 of 7 and 3 points, but... By the way, congrats to the Suns. Another dominant performance. I thought the Nuggets gave up really easily. And Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And it's crazy to say this, but Chris Paul has the best chance he's ever had of making it to the finals this year with the Suns. Better. And what's crazy is he may have a better team than Lob City has ever had because Booker's better than Blake's ever been. And Aiden's way better than DJ. And they have better defenders in terms of role players. You know, despite the fact that he's not the same Chris Paul, they may have a better team than Lob City ever had. And relative to expectations, to me that just shows that anyone that really thought Lob City was a championship contender, because I never really thought they were, we were a true championship contender, except for 2015 because we had beaten San Antonio. But anyone that was trying to hype that up, because they did try to hype it up, it's just delusional thinking in my eyes. Uh, very much overrating our roster and just not accounting for the defensive side of the ball. Um, but here's my thing. I didn't say it was Chris Paul's best chance to win a championship. That was 2018. Because they were playing in the championship, basically, against the Warriors. And he was up 3-2. I still think that they're not going to win if they go to the finals. But to make the finals, because there's no 2018 Warriors, there will be no better chance than this for Chris Paul. There will be none. 
Um, that's it for my basketball stuff tonight, guys. Let's see what minute we're at. 31. So I'm going to talk some Euro 2020 for a bit. So if you're not a soccer fan, just stay tight if you want to ask me questions. But it's the Euro Cup, and it's been a while. It's been five years. The Euro Cup is the second biggest tournament in the world after the World Cup. And tomorrow it begins with Turkey and Italy. So I'm going to give you my picks. I'm going to... So this is the way it works. Two teams from each group are going to make it out. The four best third-place teams are going to make it out. So I'm going to give you my predictions real quick. So for Group A, I got Turkey. There's Turkey, Italy, Wales, and Switzerland. Neither of these teams are powerhouses. I know Italy historically is one, but this is the first tournament they're going to be in since 2016. And they have a fairly young squad with about a third of their roster being under 25, and they don't really have a bona fide star man. You know, they have... Chira Mobile, who is going to be interesting to see up front. You know, he's had some really good years the last couple of seasons. And then Verratti, who's going to be back in the fray. I don't know if he's going to play tomorrow, but I'm a big Verratti fan. And this is his first tournament since 2014 World Cup in Brazil. So I think Italy should win this group. I think second place will go to the Swiss. And um, Turkey and and Wales, it's tough. Because, you know, Wales made that fourth place spot last time. But Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey are not in the same form that they were. So you know what? I'm just – I could be really wrong here, but I'm going to go with Turkey getting that third-place spot in qualifying. But I'm really interested to see Italy. I think that, you know, the Italian style is defensive-defensive. Mancini's the manager, formerly of Manchester City. So I'm going to be interested to see what they come out with. I'm going to go with, yeah, Switzerland. So Group B, my personal favorite, Belgium. I've been on their bandwagon for seven years, several ex-Chelsea players, and, of course, my favorite athlete that ever ever lived, Eden Hazard. Belgium winning the group for sure. I expect them to get nine points. I feel like they're going to slip up and draw one team, but I think they've got, they got to just get the nine points. My doubts with Belgium are here. Eden Hazard, my guy. Ever since he went to Real Madrid, he's been in the infirmary. He has not been... He's been a joke, quite frankly. So his form is going to dictate a lot. If he is still really capable of being that Eden Hazard that we once knew as one of the best players in the world, well, he's going to show it in this tournament because for Belgium, he plays hard. Kevin De Bruyne fucked up his face. In that uh, in that Champions League final that we won, by the way, Champions of Europe, we know what we are two times, baby. So just just don't worry about this. You want to talk about the Clippers? Well, it's not like every single one of my teams loses, but um, I think in Belgium wins the group. They've got to win the group. Denmark is the sure second place for me, and I got Russia finishing third. Finland is going to be the whipping boy of this group. It would be surprising if they even get a draw. But Belgium's, I think they got to take advantage. My biggest question mark with Belgium besides Hazard is that their center backs, the old guard, the Alderweireld, the Vermalens, the Vertonghen, they're 32 or older. And that's a question mark for me. They don't have Vincent Company anymore, who was, you know, the captain. But I still got Belgium winning the group. I want them to get nine points. They should get nine points, but I feel like they'll get seven. Um, the third, the group C, North Macedonia. It's just great they're in the tournament, but they're going to be a whipping boy. I got Austria finishing second, Ukraine finishing third, and I have a feeling that Ukraine will not qualify as a third-place team. The Netherlands are making their first appearance in a major tournament since the 2014 World Cup in which they finished third. I got the Dutch winning the group, though, despite the fact that Virgil van Dijk is injured with that torn ACL, I believe it was. You know, Memphis Depay, Jeannie Wijnaldum, uh, Donny van de Beek, Frankie de Jong, you know, um, De Ligt. They've got talent on this team. This is one of the more talented Dutch teams in a long time. So I think that Netherlands uh, will will top this group. Group D, very interesting one. Czech Republic, Scotland, Croatia, and England. Um, I'm going to get... It's going to be awesome to see Scotland play England. 
That's just gonna be just some great. I mean, they, they're one of the host nations. Um, but I have a feeling. I have a feeling Scotland with you know Andy Robertson and some players that they have could finish in one of the third place spots. But I'm just gonna go with them finishing fourth. Uh, actually, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna go with Scotland finishing third. Czech Republic finishing fourth, but I have a feeling that Scotland, along with Ukraine, will be the two teams that do not advance. I got the runners-up of the World Cup, Croatia, finishing in second. Guys, this is huge for England. You know, after that 2018 World Cup, which brought new life, newfound optimism into the country, this team has only gotten better. The players have only gotten older. Gareth Southgate has only had more years to develop this team. Harry Kane is one of the best players in the world. Raheem Sterling has not had a great season, but I think that, you know, I think that 2018-19 was arguably the best season of his career coming off that World Cup, and he has more experience now in tournaments, so I feel like he may have a better tournament than I'm anticipating. Jaden Sancho is going to get his first chance to play in a tournament. Marcus Rashford has only gotten better. And you got guys like Declan Rice in midfield, Mason Mount, you know, these midfielders, and, and Phil Foden, who I think could be a, a dark horse for that young player. Young player of the tournament. Actually, not a dark horse. I think a lot of people are probably picking him to be that guy. But, And then the question mark for me with England is, are they going to go with four at the back or are they going to go with five at the back like we saw in the World Cup? You know, Kyle Walker, they have, they're loaded at the, at the right back. Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kyle Walker, Kieran Trippier. So I'm just interested to see what formation they go with. But I'm going to go with England top in the group, Croatia finishing second, and then Czech Republic uh, in dead last, Scotland in the third spot. Two more groups. That's it, boys. Group E, Slovakia, Poland, Sweden, and Spain. I got Slovakia finishing bottom. I know Sweden made the quarterfinals of the World Cup, but I'm just going to go out with them finishing third. I got Pol And I think that Sweden will make it, though, in that third place spot. I got Poland and Lewandowski finishing second. The only thing with Poland is when Lewandowski plays for Poland, they all know that he's the danger man. So they're basically just trying to get him to not have the ball. Or when he does get the ball, four guys around him. And he's not playing with that same quality of service that he gets at Bayern. Um, so that's the thing. He's not this, I don't know. His effectiveness is not the same with Poland. But I still think they're going to finish second. The Spanish team, I think, will finish first in the group. However, I just don't have the same confidence in the Spanish team as I used to. They didn't pick Ramos to be on the team. I know he had an injury-plagued season. But it is still Sergio Ramos. He's still, a cat. He's still you know... Now Busquets is going to be the captain. He had a bit of a resurgence this season at Barcelona. But I don't know, man. I know Thiago Alcantara is there. But, you know, I don't know why they didn't pick Saul Diaz. And, you know, Morata up top. I still have my doubts on him. I don't think this Spanish team is a real contender to win anything. Um, I think they're a good... Um, I think they're a good team. But I don't think they're a real ch uh, threat to win anything this time around. I don't think they're as strong as they've been in years past. Um, I could be wrong. I don't. I still think they'll finish first just because they're the, the biggest name. They're the only European powerhouse in that group. But I don't I don't see Spain making it past the quarterfinals. And then they could easily be a round of 16 exit. The group of death, the final group. So there's Hungary, the defending European champions in Portugal, the defending world champions in France, and then the, the, the before the last World Cup champions in Germany. So that's going to be all-out bloodbath. So Hungary is going to probably get zero points and get their asses kicked every single <coughs> every single game. <coughs> but who I think France, so I saw one of the comments, and you're absolutely right. This is completely France's tournament to lose. 
France not only should have won the Euro Cup, they won the World Cup, and their roster is stacked out the ass. My biggest question mark for the French team, though, is Rafa Varane and Umtiti were incredible in the World Cup. Umtiti's been out of the loop. Um, more out of the loop with these last couple years in Barcelona. He struggled with injuries. Rafa Varane is great, but he has some mistakes in him. We're probably going to see either Clement Longley or Presnel Kimpembe start at that center back, I assume. And I don't know. I just don't have the most confidence in that back line in this tournament. And I think that as great as Hugo Lloris is, an absolute legend, he could have a mistake in him as well. Where we start getting deadly with this France team, though, is the midfield and the attack. I mean, Paul Pogba and Golo Kante. You know, you got Talisa you can throw out there, Thomas Lamar. And then you got uh, Adrian Rabiot if you want to go a little bit more defensive. I don't know who they're going to go with, if they're going to go with what formation they're going to play with a midfield three or a midfield two. Because in the World Cup, they went with Matuidi, Pogba and Kante. So I'm interested to see what they do. Uh, Pogba has been lazy as can be with Manchester United, but in the in the uh, with France, he's going to take it up a notch. I already know what this means to him and what the international tournaments mean to these players. So I already know Pogba because he doesn't have to play well for a whole season here. He only needs to play well for seven games, and in the seven games cup. You know, I think that he can bring it. And N'Golo Kante, that's my boy. Ballon d'Or candidate if he wins this thing. I, I'm going to go on a limb here. France is my pick to win this thing because Benzema being back into the fray changes everything. Because Giroud was great. You know, the, Mbappe and, uh, you know, who else? Who was it? Kingsley Coman was on that. Uh, Griezmann. Those guys played really well off Giroud's hold-up play in that World Cup. But now having a guy who may not be the aerial threat. But, again, Giroud didn't even score a goal in that. In that World Cup. Um, but he still played well. To have Benzema, who is better technically, who is better at scoring goals, who can score goals that very few players can score, it's just going to be very difficult to play against this French team. They have so much talent. And then Mbappe on the wing, and he's just so... He's just so tough. He's so lethal. And Griezmann, I mean, he's played a little better of late, but he's not had the most staggering spell at Barcelona. I think he's been a bit underwhelming overall. And I just don't think, I don't know, we'll see how, what happens with him and Dembele, but the talent on this French team is just out the ass. But I'll tell you who's a dark horse to win this thing. Not Germany. And my, my thoughts on Germany are this. They got some great young talent, but it's a new guard. It's a new generation. I think that they can make some noise. But honestly, as crazy as this sounds, I think that Germany is going to finish third in the group and make it to the knockout via the third place. But... Just to say that, just to think that Germany will make it third in any group in any tournament is wild. And it just shows that this group is really hard. And to me, it just shows that the German team right now is going through a change. And they're going to try to figure it out. I heard this is Yogi Love's last tournament as manager. And he's had a legendary spell as the German manager. So we'll see what happens. But here's my thing. Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, Rudiger on this, on this German team. I love Timo Werner's uh, activity, his runs that he makes, but he's not clinical. So I, I'd assume they go with somebody else up top, but you never know. Um, Portugal, though, is my dark horse to win this thing. I thought they got very lucky in 2016. I don't think they were the best team by any stretch. But this Portuguese team, ooh, the talent they've produced lately. Let's look at this roster real quick. They're going to finish second in my mind in this group. And they can really win it. You know, everybody knows Ronaldo, but they got the Wolves boys. Rui Patricio in goal. Nelson Semedo, another guy from Wolves. Joao Moutinho, vice captain, also from Wolves. Ruben Neves from Wolves. So they got that Wolves contingent that knows how to play together. And then Diogo Jota, who was ex-Wolves. 
And now he's on Liverpool, and he's a good player as well. And then Ronaldo, Gonzalo, uh, Gonzalo uh, Guedes, Andre Silva, you know, Renato Sanchez, William Carvalho, Danilo. And then you go to the back. My only doubt with the, with the Portuguese is Pepe is 38 years old. Is he going to still start at the back? Um, Jose Font is 37 years old. But when you, when you talk about fullbacks, Joao Cancelo on one side, I don't know who's going to play left back. I don't know much about Nuno Mendes. He's only 18 years old. Jesus Christ. But Ruben Diaz, who came off that season with Manchester City and winning the league and having... Uh, he won player of the season. The Football Writers Association player of the season. So this Portuguese team is stacked. I think they're going to be really interesting to watch. Oh, I forgot about Bernardo Silva. <laughs> they're so loaded, dude. And Bruno Fernandes. Fernandes. Oh, my God. This team is loaded. This is one of the this is the most stacked Portuguese team since 2006. That's my opinion on it. But I'm really excited for tomorrow's game, Turkey and Italy. I'm definitely going to be breaking that down, I believe tomorrow if I go live. I may not go live though. We'll see. But that's it for tonight, guys. 45 minute recap. Sorry it went so long and I apologize for the non-soccer basketball contingent that's waiting for my comments. But hey, crowded live tonight. Thanks for everybody for uh, showing out. Clippers are in really deep shit right now. And I'll be at game three. I haven't bought my ticket yet, but I'm, I'm gonna because I gotta be there for the squad. So you'll get a vlog. By the way, if you haven't checked out my vlogs from the last round, go check them out. I worked decently hard on them. And I got some great footage in there. And if you haven't checked out my video with Will, my Dime Jumper featuring, go check that out as well. The production quality is the best of any videos on my channel. And he spits some knowledge. But uh, thanks for joining me. And now we go to the live chat for 15 minutes.